You're listening to a message from Highway Church from Debbie Amaral entitled, It's My Party. Enjoy. Okay, good morning. Oh, wasn't that praise and worship beautiful? Overwhelmed by the presence of God this morning. Amen. Do I sound okay over there? I don't, do I sound like this? Is this what you have to hear all the time? Somebody shut me. You're saying, yeah, that's not good. All right. Thank you, Pastor Joseph, for the privilege of uh, ministering the word this morning. I do not take the privilege of the pulpit lightly, as you've heard me say many times when I get up to speak. It's a privilege to be here and minister the word of God. So let's get right into the word because I have a lot to share this morning. I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you don't, please share with someone. Anytime I minister, I really like you to look into your Bibles. I want you to read it. So often when pastor brings up, mentions a text, I'll open up my Bible, and I can't tell you how many times words leap from the page, from the text that he's referring to, and even verses before it or verses after, and I highlight it, and I date it, and I go back to it, so it's powerful. Your Bible is so powerful. It's a weapon, as you know that, right? So it's important to bring your word with you. Amen? Today, I want us to look at the parable of the prodigal son. I think this parable is one of the most beautiful and poignant parables that Jesus told. And most of you already know that Jesus taught in parables. A parable is a simple story, right? To teach a moral lesson, a spiritual truth. The title, The Parable Son, has been, this has been given for, for many years, for centuries. As of late, I've heard it called the parable of the two lost sons. And recently, I've even heard the parable of the prodigal father. Now, I have to be honest with you. When I first heard that title, I didn't like the thoughts that it conjured up within me until I read the definition. I guess all the time, I thought prodigal meant someone who was rebellious, someone who was out sowing their wild oats and... uh, you know, had lost their way. But when I read the definition, it said, prodigal means spending money or resources recklessly, freely, wastefully. Another definition of prodigal is lavish, liberal, generous, unsparing, giving something on a lavish scale. I think that truly reflects the father in this story. So the title is fitting. Now I realize that many of you have probably heard many messages on the prodigal son. But I hope that as we go through this word today, and I minister to you the word today, you will walk away with a deeper revelation of the heart of the father. How much he loves you, and how much his grace is so amazing. And we've sang that all morning, didn't we? You're a good, good father. So my prayer today is the same prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the saints in Ephesus. Saints at Highway Church and those of you that are viewing from uh, on Facebook, 
My prayer today is, may the eyes of your understanding be enlightened and may Christ dwell richly and strongly in your heart by faith. And may you come to, come to comprehend how high, how deep, how long and how wide is Christ's love for you. Amen. The Father's love for you. Amen. So if you will turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 15. And as we go through this parable, I really want you to engage in the story. Find yourself in the story this morning because you are in it. Take my word for it. This story is powerful and it will, will literally change you. And you've been hearing me say like my new t-shirt. Just, I just picked up my new t-shirt. T-shirt, guess what it says? Living from the inside out living from the inside out and this story is powerful it will change you from the inside out okay the story begins in verse 11 my friend but we would like to start let's look at verses 1 and 2 first verse 1 says now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I had to read those two verses because I want you to have a better understanding to whom Jesus is talking, who's in the audience, okay? So the, you got the, two groups of people are present. Can I divide this room into two groups? Say, yes, Debbie. Yes, okay, now I know you're with me. So on this side... We have the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the down and outers, the outcasts. Say yes. Yeah. Uh, that was a little weak. Say yes. Okay, so we get the morally questionable folks over here. Ranging from those who tell the little white lies to those who fudge on the income taxes. They steal the items from the office, but we won't tell anybody. We all the way to the reckless, you know, those, I'm going to live my life my way. Don't tell me how to live. Rules were meant to be broken. You only come away around this way once. We will call this group the morally liberal folks, okay? Say, yeah! yeah. All right. On this side of the room, we have the religious folks. Now, just look over to that side and just give them this. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So we have here the, the religious folks. These are the scribes and the Pharisees. They're well-kept. They're well-groomed. Okay? And let me tell you right now, they're better than you are. Yes, bless God. <laughs> See, I told you. They know their Bible. They attend every Bible study. They get the first five books of the Bible memorized. They keep every rule and every law, and they'll let you know about it. And they'll tell you when you don't. These are the morally conservative folks. Give them the finger again. This one, the pointer. <laughs> Woo, this is Jesus' audience. So imagine, if you will, the liberally-minded folks and the conservatively-minded folks together in the same room. Are you getting a feel for the atmosphere? you got the liberals versus the conservatives. Sounds like the day we're living in, right? But Jesus, he seizes the opportunity to teach these completely extreme from one spectrum to another group of people a huge lesson. He's going to tell a story that will cut to the heart of both groups 
and will expose some hot issues. So let's begin reading, starting in verse 11. And Jesus said to his audience, that's you, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey to a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And we had, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he came to his, his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead. Is alive again, he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. By the way, have I given you the title to this message? I titled this message, It's My Party. It's My Party. Jesus starts off this story by giving us some appalling, scandalous information about the younger son. The son had approached his father and asked him for his inheritance. Let me ask you a question. When does one normally get an inheritance? When someone dies. So in essence, this son is saying, you're not dying fast enough. I wish you were dead, right? Isn't that what you guys are saying in this group? Okay. I can't wait. Give me what belongs to me. I don't want any more accountability. I don't want any more commands from you. In essence, he was saying, I want your things. I don't want you. What do you think the sinners and the tax collectors in the audience are thinking right about now as they hear this? Can you guys relate? Of course you can. They're thinking, I get this. 
This guy's me. That's my thoughts and feelings. Let me live my life, right? Let me get out of here. No more rules. And what about the Pharisees and the scribes? What do you think they're thinking right about now? Get them, Jesus. Oh, this spoiled brat. The nerve of him asking his father for inheritance. How disrespectful. Right, guys? Isn't that what you're saying? Somebody take this kid out and stone him. The law demands it. What did the father do? Look at verse 12. The father, listen very carefully now, the father divided the property between them. He divided the property between the two sons. Wow. To the Middle Eastern man, the Jewish mind, this is so bizarre, so outrageous. No father divides his property to give it to his son before he dies. And that word property here in the Greek is bio, which means life. The younger son is asking the father to tear his life apart. This was a stinging slap on the face of the father. But the father divided his property. Look at verse 13. It says, and not many days later, the son leaves home. Wow, how do you liquidate an estate in a few days? I'll tell you how. You sell cheap, pennies on a dollar. Everything's sold at a bargain. The person buying is getting a good deal, right? You see what has happened here? The son has devalued the father's estate. He has no consideration for the father because it's all about me. It's all about me. This is completely shameful, but he doesn't care. The father gives him his inheritance, and he's on his way. He gives it to him because he loves his son. Thank you for that. He's willing to endure a tremendous loss of honor as well as pain of rejection. Did you notice in this text it doesn't say anywhere here that the father tried to stop him? Didn't beg him to stay? Right? Because you can't make somebody do something they don't want to do. You can't make someone stay when they uh, have already left in their heart, right? Unfortunately, you've got to let them go and then come to the end of themselves. So the father didn't try to stop him. Just like Father God did not stop Adam and Eve from making their choice. He didn't stop King David from having that adulterous affair. It was his choice, right? God did not create robots. He created human beings with a free will, right? And the ability to make choices. So the boy has made his choice. He goes to a distant country to get as far away from home as he could. He takes the first flight out to where you're going, right? Vegas, right? (laughs) And he goes wild. He spends it all. You're talking about X-rated living. It's the booze, the drugs, the alcohol, the women, the rock and roll. He does everything he's always wanted to, fulfilling every indulgence. Can you see this boy? But one day, the money runs out. And when the money runs out, the friends run out. And when the friends run out, the fun runs out. And he wakes up one morning in the most despicable conditions. He's in a pig pen. He's got a job feeding pigs. He's going from the penthouse to the outhouse. 
This is low. This is as low as a Jewish boy can go. What do you think the sinners and the tax collectors are thinking right about now? No, they're saying that's my story. You're reading my mail. Been there, done that, I got the t-shirt to prove it. What about the Pharisees? You belong on this side, sister. What do you think the Pharisees and the scribes are thinking about about now? Good enough. He deserves it. That's why you read my notes. Spoiled brat. You should have stayed home with your father, you ungrateful kid. But what is really going on in the heart of this son? What is he thinking? What is he after? I believe he's after what most of us are after, if we'll be honest with ourselves. He thinks happiness and contentment in life will be found in doing what we want to do. Being our own boss. No one to answer to. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's going to bring me happiness and joy. Isn't that how most of the world thinks? I know this is how I thought for many years. This rebellious son represents someone. In fact, this, re rep this rebellious son represents everyone of God's creation. Every child of God that has ever lived, we've all made decisions, choices we didn't consider God, right? Say, yes, Debbie. Yes. You're still out there, right? Okay. We've all said, I know what's best for me. I know what will make me happy, right? And then one day we realize and we find out, what have I done? Where have I been, right? This, this boy's choices brought him low. He was in the mud with the pigs, in the pig slop. But then the word of God says, he came to his, that's right, he came to himself. And he says, how many of my, my father's hired servants have more than enough to eat? And I'm here in the pig pen. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go back to my father's house. And I'm going to say, father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now let's pause here a moment. Two things I want to point out here. Did you notice there was no repentance? Yes. No, I'm sorry for what I've done. I brought shame to my father. I've humiliated. Was there any of that there? No. no. What did he say? I was hungry. I'm hungry. I'm starving. I'm, I'm dying of hunger. I'm going to go back home. The other thing he said was, I'll go back and be a hired servant. Now, interesting, that term, hired servant, is not referring to the servants that are part of the household, that worked and lived in the house and the family members took care of those servants. That's not what he's saying. When he's saying, I'm going to go back and be a hired servant, he, those are day laborers. Those are the people that go to the city gates for the day and they're waiting for someone to come by and hire them for the day. This is how this boy is thinking. Okay, he's saying maybe my father will hire me on a daily basis. I know he's not going to accept me, but I can earn my way back to his good graces. I can work to pay back, pay the debt I owe. Are you following me? Have you been there where you feel you have to do something to gain God's good graces? 
right? You have to do something before you approach him in prayer. You have to be good before you approach God in prayer, right? You have to do some act of service before God will be pleased with you. Are you you there? You understand? Say, yes, Debbie. I used to think like that. And it was difficult for me not to think like that because I was raised in a home where I felt I had to perform. And if I were performed, if I performed, mommy and daddy was very pleased with me. And as children, we learn to act a certain way to win mommy and daddy's approval, don't we? We've all done that. But unfortunately, so often this carries over when we become Christians and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We think we have to perform to please Him, and nothing can be further from the truth. This son believed that the way he lived caused the father to disprove of him and change the way he felt about him. But again, nothing was further from the truth. This son, listen to me very carefully, had no clue how much the father loved him and that his love was unconditional. This son has lost sight of his identity. This son had lost sight of who he was and whose he was. And because of that, he prepares his pathetic little speech and heads back home to work his way back to win his father's good graces. Okay? To win his father's approval. Verse 20 tells us, and he arose and went back home. But look at the rest of that verse, please. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran towards him, embraced and kissed him. I love that. While he was still a long way off, evidently the father had been watching out for him. He'd been longing day after day, longing waiting for that son to return home. And when the father saw him, Jesus, telling this beautiful story, says, the father felt compassion for the son and ran. He cast aside his dignity. He gathers up his robes. Men wore robes in those days, if you don't know. And he ran. In Jesus' day, pulling up your robe and exposing your legs, this would be utterly shameful, a disgrace, so inappropriate. This is outrageous behavior on the part of this father. Again, keep in mind, Jesus' audiences, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, these are men of dignity, men of respect, men of stature. These Pharisees, they're stunned. Aren't you guys stunned? Oh, yeah, they're stunned, right? They're stunned. They're dumbfounded. They're appalled at the outrageous behavior, the display of this father. Middle Eastern men do not run. They don't expose their legs. And they especially do not run towards a son who's been rebellious, living sinfully, who's ungrateful and wasteful. And then he showers him with all these kisses of all things. You just don't do that. The law says, and believe me, these religious hypocrites, they know the law. 
The Lord said, stone them. Stone him, right? The Lord says, you do wrong. You deserve to be punished. You deserve to die. And don't you think the father knew the law? That's another reason why the father ran. He knew the religious scribes and Pharisees would show the child no mercy. They would have grabbed him, brought him down to the city gates, and had him publicly stoned. So the father ran to spare his child from being punished. <laughs> Even though that's what the son deserved. But that's grace. That's grace. That's amazing grace. When we deserve to be punished, but he shows us grace. And no doubt the son was dirty. He was smelling, reeking the smell of where he had been. He'd been with the pigs. But that doesn't stop the father. He falls on the son's neck and he kisses him and kisses him and kisses him and kisses him. Can you hear the Pharisees? <gasps> they just suck the air out of the room. They can't believe what's going on. This is unheard of. Now let's turn our attention for one moment to the son. His father is running towards him. What must he be thinking? Oh my goodness, he's coming after me. I have to tell you, if my father was running towards me, I would probably, no, not probably, I would be peeing in my pants. That's the truth. I'm not lying. I have to be honest. My dad running towards me would not be a good thing. This father, after being so disgraced, so humiliated by the son's actions, he casts that all aside and just begins loving on his son. Wow. And in the midst of this beautiful emotional scene, the son manages to recite the speech he had rehearsed. Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. And I believe when the father heard those words, I'm not worthy to be called your son, it had to devastate him more than all the shame he brought to the family, more than all the money he wasted and the lifestyle that he lived. The fact that the son had lost sight of who he was, and that was heart-wrenching to the father. This was a worse blow to the father because what the boy had done and how the boy had lived had nothing to do with who he was and who he belonged to. So the father totally ignores the son's pathetic little speech. And he turns to his servants and says, bring out my best robe and put it on my son. What is the father doing? He's given his son identity. He's saying, I'm not going to allow you to pay your debt. I'm not going to ask you to repent in sackcloth and ashes. You're not going to win my approval. I'm simply taking you back. I will cover your nakedness. You are accepted. You are my child. Isn't this what Father God, God has done for each one of us? In his son, Jesus Christ, who has given up his robes of righteousness, that we can identify with Jesus. He has accepted us. 
He is pleased with us. Say, yes, Debbie. And then the father says, put a ring on his finger. The ring was the family signet ring. It meant authority. It symbolized authority and dominion. No more victim. No more victim. No more victim. He said, put sandals on his feet. You are to walk as a son, not a slave. No longer walking aimlessly, wandering. You have a destiny, the father says. You have a destiny to fulfill, my child, the father says to you. You have a purpose. You have a plan. And if that wasn't enough, listen. Listen to what the father says next. Bring the fatted calf. Kill it. Let's eat and be merry. Translation, we're going to have a party. <laughs> and we're going to party now. <laughs> Jesus telling the story, says to his audience, and they began to celebrate. They began to party. Now, oh, come on now. Come on now. This is too much now, really. This is like you didn't eat dinner and you get to eat dessert. Are you serious? I want you to try and wrap your brain around this illogical, ridiculous scene in this parable. He's wasted his father's hard-earned money. He's lived wildly, sinfully. He's mocked. He's humiliated the father's name. He hasn't even been home a short time. And they began to celebrate? <laughs> you mean you're not going to send him to his room? You're not going to make him sit out and think about what he's done and how he's wasted all your money? Bought you nothing but shame? Instead, you've given him new clothes, new shoes, jewelry, and he's up on the dance floor dancing. Cha-cha slide, you slide to the left, you wall. Real, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I meant haba, nagila, haba, nagila. All right, right? Man, what is this father thinking? Apparently, he's not. Most of us, if we were throwing this party, we would say, everybody, get on the dance floor. Not you, son. You sit there and you think about what you've done. How you wasted my money, how you brought me shame. You sit there. We're all going to dance and you're going to watch. Is that what the father does? No. He extends his mercy. He extends his grace. He extends his love. Oh, that we could understand and would understand that God delights in saving. God delights in restoring. God delights in lavishing his love on his children. And what you and I really need to understand that when we sin, when we sin, when we blow it, the most powerful place that we can be is in the Father's house. Receiving, receiving his love, receiving his mercy, receiving that bountiful grace. God, through Jesus Christ, has given us this story to skillfully unveil to us the heart of the Father. A Father who wants to lavish us with his goodness and his love. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, Father loves you. 
and his grace does not even allow for restitution. The father said, put on my robe. I've got you covered. You're in right standing with me. No more guilt. No more shame. Did you hear what I said? No more guilt. No more shame. No more. Put my ring on, he says. You have my authority. Put the sandals on your feet, my child. You're not a slave. You have a destiny. Amen. The robe, the ring, the shoes are all symbols of restoration. Everything the son had lost was now gained. Amen. He deserved punishment, but he got forgiveness. He deserved a lecture, but he got love. I love it. He got grace. Now this had to shake the boy to his core, right? It just had to shake him because look what the father had done after what he had done. And I believe I can hear that boy singing right now. Covered, covered, come on church, covered by your grace. No matter what I've done, no matter where I've been, no matter how I fall, you pick me up again. You have me moved my shame. You take me as I am. You call me justified. Now I am covered by your grace. Man, this must have blown the socks off of those who were hearing the story. The sinners, the tax collectors, the Pharisees, and the scribes, right? Because that's how good the Father is. And that's what he's saying to you and me today. His grace, his grace. When we choose, my brothers and sisters, to get up and make that journey toward our Father, he covers us with his grace. Amen. His amazing grace. But you know something? Church family, unfortunately, not everybody likes grace. Look at verse 25. Tells us now the elder brother was in the field. And as he's drawing near to the father's house, he hears the music in the... This is your part right now, gang, okay, on this side? All right. He's drawing near to the father's house, and he hears music and dancing. And he calls one of his servants and asks what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf. He's received him back, safe and sound. Now watch, his watch their response. Verse 28 tells us he was angry. Now there are a couple of points I want to bring out here that we can learn from the older brother. First of all, when did he become angry? Was he angry when he heard the music and the dancing? No. That's right. Was he angry when he saw the party going on? No. When did he become angry? He became angry when he learned they were celebrating his brother. Listen. So often, the older brother is fine with others being celebrated as long as it's not being done to someone they deem undeserving or unworthy. They get angry when father promotes 
or celebrate someone who hasn't obeyed the letter of the law. They get angry when the young brother is being celebrated, is getting blessed, and he hasn't worked for it. Because older brothers are constantly working to win the father's approval and frustration. And this breeds anger and frustration and resentment, doesn't it? Another point I need to make here. We read the older son went to the servant. The modus operandi of an older brother whose heart is filled with jealousy and self-righteousness they would rather talk to the servant than to the Father God. A self-righteous, critical spirit will badmouth, will gossip, backbite a brother or a si sister to the servant rather than go to the Father and pray about it. They love to talk to the servants, but not to Daddy. Can I share something with you? There's been times in my life when I acted like the older brother, self-righteous and critical, judgmental. There have been times in my life I've spoken to the servants instead of going to the father. And when I spoke ill of them, I uncovered them. And when I did that, not only was I exposing them, I was exposing my sinful heart. But worse than that, let me tell you what the father told me. He said, daughter, when you speak against my sons and daughters, you touch the apple of my eye. Zechariah 2.8. And the Lord refers to his children as the apple of his eye. When we speak against a child of God, be it our spouse, our children, our parents, brother or sister, we are touching God's very being. And you and I both know how protective we are over our eye, right? The pupil of our eye. So needless to say, I acknowledged what I had done. And God, of course, he forgave me. Amen? Because yes. we are forgiven. Amen? So let's keep going. Look at verse 28. The older brother would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. Look what the father's doing again. <laughs> okay? He comes out and pleads with him. For the second time that day, the father sees another son who's in trouble, and he goes out to him. See, so often when we hear this parable, we, all, we always talk about the father going out and meeting the younger son, the rebellious son. But the father is just as concerned about the older brother. The difference between the two, one does not want to go into the house because he thinks he doesn't deserve to be there. And the other does not want to go into the house because he feels he's the only one who should be there. He's the only one who deserves to be there. And both of them are equally lost. Both of them are not going to be where the father wants them unless they come to understand the father's heart of love. And the father pleads with him and says, son, come into the house. This is a party. You should be here. You belong here. Come and celebrate. And his response was, verse 29, and this is what happens when a heart becomes callous and hard. He answered his father, look. He doesn't even address him as father. Again, if this were me talking to my father, 
I wouldn't have any front teeth right about now. And this parable would end right here, right now. Can anybody relate? Look, he says, for years I've been serving you. I've never disobeyed you. I've kept all your commandments. And as soon as this son of yours, never calls him his brother, as soon as this son of yours comes home, you killed the fatted calf. He's acted like a fool. He spent all your money, brought shame to your name. You're throwing him a party? Serving him filet mignon? Are you serious? You never even gave me a goat that I might have a good time with my friends. Now I can picture the father right about now with a look of bewilderment, slapping his hands on his head and saying, son, did I hear you right? You wanted a goat or a boat? Because if it's a yacht, you want to go on by you a yacht. A goat? You know something? The older son had it all wrong. He thinks the fatted calf demonstrated the worth of the younger brother. In reality, it demonstrated an expression of the father's love. But he, but he couldn't see it. He's accusing the father of being unfair. Was the father unfair? No. At any time, this son could have thrown himself a party. At any time, he could have had his friends over, killed the fatted calf. Because if you remember the beginning of the story, what did I say? The father divided the property between them, between the two of them. He had his inheritance all along. He had it all along. It's already yours. We've already got it. Question. How is it that you have two believers, two children of the Most High God, and you got one enjoying all of the Father's blessings and the other one barely making it? The oldest son did not exercise his rights and his privileges. He lived like a slave while he was an heir all along. Oof. Sad to say that both sons lived with the father, but never knew the father's heart. They never had a revelation of the father's love and their true identity. That's huge. And they both wanted to earn their keep. When we have a wrong belief about God, we feel like we, we can never measure up. We never are good enough. We can never do enough. We see God as a hard taskmaster, and then we want to get away from him. If we examine these two sons closely, we would find that both sons have heart issues. Both sons rebelled. One did so by being bad, and one did so by being good. The younger son left the father's house in open rebellion, the oldest son stayed in the house with hidden rebellion. Now listen to the heart of the father in verse 31. He says, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. That's what the father God is saying to you and me today. Yes, he is. All that I have is yours. You can't earn my love. You can't work for it. You don't need to perform anymore. Stop performing. It ends here, today. 
Father says, receive my love, receive my forgiveness, receive my grace. Come, let's party. Let's party. What's so amazing about Father God, whether it is legalism or license, he invites us all to come to the party. He invites us all to come to the party. Years ago, I came across this poem, and to me, it reflects the heart of the Father and this message today. It sums it up so well. It goes like this. The music was playing. The table was spread. The dancing already begun. Though clothed in new robe, shoes, and a ring, confused was the prodigal son. I've squandered his money, brought him nothing but shame, disgrace and reproach I've heaped on his name. Though he is my father, his slave I should be. Tell me, why is he throwing this party for me? Why is he throwing this party for me? The sound of rejoicing could not be contained. Exuberance soon filled the air, but one would not enter, nor would he be glad. The party he felt was unfair. My brother, he's acted the part of a fool. In willful rebellion, he broke every rule. From harlots and heathens, I've kept myself free. Tell me, why was there never a party for me? Why was there never a party for me? The father responded, come, share in my joy and let the glad tidings abound. The feasting is proper. My son is alive. The one that was lost is now found. So let me be merry and let my heart vent. I must celebrate this momentous event. Come, my sons, join in this great jubilee. But remember, I'm throwing this party for me. Amen. I'm throwing this party for me, is what the father says. In Luke 15, the same chapter, verse 10, it says, There is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents, changes his mind and comes home. This is commonly taught that the angels are rejoicing. But if you examine that verse closely, it says there is joy in the presence of the angels. Who's rejoicing in the presence of the angels? Father God! Father God! He's partying! Every time a sinner, every time a child of God gets up and comes home, he rejoices. He parties. Amen? And he welcomes his child with open arms. He's a good, good father. Say it. He's a good, good father. You know, perhaps you didn't have a good earthly father. Maybe he walked out on you. He abandoned you. Okay. What does the word of God say? That father God is a father to the fatherless. He's a father to the fatherless. Now in closing, let me ask you. Did you find yourself in this story today? Perhaps in the life of the youngest son? You go on far away from home. You've done your own thing. Now you're living with the consequences. Maybe you're living with some regrets. Perhaps you saw yourself in the older brother. All your life you've been performing, trying to do what's right, keeping a record of how good you've been. Perhaps you even saw yourself in the father. You too have experienced hurt and rejection from a child of yours. Your expressions, your demonstrations of love, your good intentions have been misunderstood. But today, father is saying, come, 
let's celebrate. Come as you are. Bring your pain, bring your sorrow, your shattered, broken pieces of your life. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've been. Just come to the party. It's God's goodness that leads people to change. It's God's goodness that leads people to change. So put your robe on. He says, I got you covered. Put the ring on your finger. You have that authority. And put the shoes on your feet. You're no longer going to walk aimlessly and like a slave. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. Now get up and get on the dance floor. It's time to party. Amen? Amen? I want you to repeat after me. Father, I receive your invitation to come to your party. I belong. I'm accepted. I am your beloved. I am highly favored, greatly blessed, so deeply loved. You are my Abba Father. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I receive your love. I receive your love. I receive your love. Now get up and just worship him and praise him for he is your father and he's a good, good father. Good, good father. He's a good, good father. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life he came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.